I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to be reading uh, verses uh, verses 18 through 25. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 21 through 25. Romans chapter 1. Remember Paul has... um, Beginning a new section here, a section that runs from 118 through 320, where he's going to be diagnosing the human problem. And uh, the reason he's doing that is because he wants us to understand the necessity for the gospel cure. And um, so we're going to, he takes his time and we're going to as well so that we understand um, the plight of mankind so that uh, we can delight in uh, the rescue that we have in our Lord Jesus. So let's begin Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading of verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father, as we open your word, now we thank you that you have made this truth plain. You've shown this to us, uh, Lord, but we need eyes to see it. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to do exactly that, to, uh, that we would see and, and cherish this truth as you show us our need for our beautiful Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. wondering if you've ever been medically uh, misdiagnosed. You went to the doctor and, um, and they said uh, they thought this was the problem and it turned out that wasn't the problem at all. Uh, my brother Randy, as some of you know, was uh, misdiagnosed about a year ago. He uh, was having some stomach issues, and uh, so he, he went to the doctor and talked about it, and um, the doctor told him it was probably acid reflux, uh, certainly nothing to worry about, and uh, gave him some uh, Prilosec. Well, uh, the problem didn't go away, and so Randy uh, would go back to the doctor and, and um each time Randy would go back, uh, the doctor would assure him, you're fine. Uh, you're, you're, you're the picture of health, right? There's absolutely nothing to worry about. Well, finally, when the symptoms uh, continued to, uh, to worsen, Randy went to a different doctor, and uh, that doctor was immediately concerned and ordered a few tests, and my brother Randy was diagnosed with stage 4 gastric cancer. He had been horribly misdiagnosed. Uh, by the grace of God, Randy's doing well. He's um, gaining a little bit of strength uh, each day. He's, he's working again. Uh, there's no sign of cancer currently, although they say that since the cancer is outside the, uh, was outside of the wall of the stomach, they can never say it's gone and it might uh, come back. A medical diagnosis is uh, a very dangerous thing. It's, it's often a fatal thing. 
And what's true when it comes to the diseases of the body is all the more true when it comes to the disease of the soul. Uh, Nothing is more dangerous than a spiritual misdiagnosis, and yet nothing in all the world is more common. If you go to the world with concerns about your soul, if you go to the world and talk about the shame that you feel or the guilt that weighs you down and you're concerned about the things that you do, the world will assure you there's nothing wrong. You're perfectly healthy. Everything is fine. You're just a normal human being. There's nothing, absolutely nothing to worry about. And all the while, the cancer of sin will be eating away at your soul and sealing your fate Uh, your eternal death. And it happens all the time. As I noted, we're studying a new section here in Paul's letter as he's going to, uh, we call it the the section of sin. It deals with the reality of man's problem. Uh, Paul's purpose here is not to discourage us. He's not angrily rebuking humanity. Um, He's just patiently, carefully, like a skilled doctor, uh, explaining what's wrong with us. And it's absolutely critical that we pay attention. We need to uh, understand what the problem is, uh, what the reality is of our soul disease so that we can be cured. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, most of our failures and troubles in the church, as well as in the world, are due to the fact that we have not really understood this doctrine of sin. Most of the problems in the church, and of course in the world, are due to the fact we don't correctly understand the doctrine of sin. And Paul is desperate that we understand the truth uh, about our sin so that uh, we can realize the grave danger that we're in and receive with joy the wonderful cure that God has provided in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just simply true that um, you will take Jesus only as seriously as you take your sin. And if you don't take your sin seriously, you won't take Jesus seriously because you just won't see the need. And so let's begin. Uh, Sin, like most uh, diseases, physical diseases, follows a certain pattern of progression. Uh, You can can mark its journey, and that's what Paul uh, does here. Uh, Last week we noted that the essence of sin is this rejection, uh, this willful rejection of the truth about God. So God has revealed himself to men. It's a plain, clear revelation. It's not murky or mysterious, Uh, but people see that truth and suppress it in unrighteousness. Uh, People reject that truth. That's the essence of sin. That's really the disease. If you want to label the disease, what is the disease of humanity? The disease is that we reject God. Starts way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, and that's been the story of man ever since. And that, that rejection then begins to show itself. There are symptoms that you can see in the life of a, of a person who has that soul disease. The first symptom is a failure to, to do two basic things. Uh, Paul mentions in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. You see, the first, the first evidence of the, soul, the soul's disease is not the things that people do, it's the thing that they fail to do. It's a sin of omission. It could easily be overlooked. The failure, you see, is um, men do not honor God as God or give thanks to Him. 
What does it mean not to honor God as God? Well, you can maybe take an illustration of a man who is married, been married maybe for 10, 15 years, but he, he treats his wife like she's hired help. Uh, he angrily orders her around. He shows her absolutely no affection. He feels free to date other women. Um, He does not honor, you see, his wife as his wife. It's not just that he's sinning against this person. He's sinning against this person in her status, in in her rightful place. She's his wife. He owes her things. He owes her fidelity. He owes her kindness. But his failure, you see, is a violation of all that he owes to her because of her status. Well, that's exactly the case when it comes to sinful men and women. We owe God obedience. We owe God worship simply because of who he is. It's not a favor we're doing for him. When a man loves his wife, it's it's not a favor he's doing for her. When when he speaks kindly to her, it's it's not just because he's a nice guy and, and he's doing her a favor. He owes her that. And of course, a hundred times over, we owe God worship. We owe God gratitude. We owe God obedience. We owe God love. And yet, and yet what do people do? Well, they treat him like, like he's a servant. They, they make demands on God and then get angry when he doesn't fulfill their demands. The world is full of people who are angry with, with God because he's failed to meet their demands. They show him no affection. They don't speak lovingly of him. They don't praise him. They uh, freely worship anything and everything that their heart desires rather than God. So they, they just, they don't honor God as God. They don't, they don't give to him what they owe to him. And you see, if, if, we, if, we, if, we, uh, if we saw God, if we saw the glory of God, that would immediately strike us as the most awful, awful thing. Um, one, of the, one of the effects of this, one of the uh, ramifications you could say is in failing to honor God as God in all of his glory, people don't give thanks to God. Now that might, it seems like not that big a thing. And yet it's an awful thing. Imagine a person who never, ever shows gratitude. Never says thank you. No matter how kind and generous you are to him, no matter how great of gifts you might give to him, he never, ever thanks you. He just turns or takes the gift and turns around, walks away. Maybe cursing under his breath. Doesn't even look you in the eye. He's never once with a true heart of gratitude said thank you. What would you say of that person? I think you'd say that's the most self-centered, egotistical, narcissist, psychopath I've ever met in my life. I will never give that man a single other thing. And you'd be right to say uh, to do that. And yet, what does God do? Day after day after day after day after day, God pours out blessings. Gifts, gifts, gifts. Health and wealth and family and friends and, and food and clothing and shelter and work and vacations. Every single good thing in your life is a gift that's been freely given to you by the hand of the Father in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. Every single good gift. 
And yet men and women receive those gifts in their fallen nature and they receive them and maybe they demand some more or maybe there's a, there's a, a sense of, of thankfulness to some vague uh, force in the, in the universe but they never fall on their knees and bow down before God and worship Him. They never say thank you as an act of praise, as an act of worship and obedience. Instead, they take his blessings and they use those blessings to serve themselves and to deny the reality of God and to desecrate his creation and they do it every single day. I hope you can see that thanklessness, ingratitude towards God is an awful thing and it's the first evidence of this deadly disease of the soul might be the nicest person, a very moral person, and yet they refuse to honor God as God and they refuse, they just, they don't thank Him, not, not in worshipful gratitude. Well, then we see the second stage of the pathology of sin is it, is it continues to grow like a cancer, and Paul says what happens is uh, there's an uh, at, uh, uh, atrophy taking place, right, in our mind and in our heart. Things are, are, are breaking down. There's a futility in the mind and a darkening of the heart. That's what he says in the last part of 21. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's a futile mind. You see, God gave mankind a mind for a reason, for a purpose, right? The purpose, the reason we have a mind is so that we can grasp truth and get wisdom, we can perceive uh, the way things are. We can reason and, and consider and evaluate and, and realize that the way things are and what things are for and, and, and what is true and right and good and beautiful. That's what the mind is for. And the mind is, of course, ultimately to know God. To know Him in truth as He's revealed Himself. To take the revelation, to perceive it, understand it, grasp it. That's what the mind is for. But when sin uh, enters the heart of a man, there's a futility uh, in the mind. The mind stops working correctly. It becomes futile and fruitless. It can be in the presence of truth, but it's not getting in. It's not being received. In fact, the mind of man now acts exactly contrary to its design. And instead of grasping truth, what does it do? It devises lies. It, it makes up lies and it seeks ways, it invents right, new ways of, of sinning. It's like the immune, when the immune system goes haywire in your body and begins attacking the organs instead of protecting them. Well, that's exactly what the, the, the feudal mind does. By rejecting the truth of God and embracing the lies of the devil, the mind of man no longer functions as it ought to, but instead it leads us into death. And the heart is darkened. The foolish heart. You see, the, the heart is the inner part of you that uh, the, the, the thinking and feeling and choosing part of you that determines what you do. Out of the heart come the issues of life, Jesus says. God gave us our mind so that we could grasp the truth of the glory of God, and he gave us emotions so we could delight in the truth of the glory of God, and he gave us a will so we could choose the glory of God. That's what your heart is for. 
The heart was, was created to receive the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and, and then to delight in it, to cherish it, and to pursue it with a passion. But see, if, when the heart is darkened, well, Jesus likens the heart to the eye of a man, right? If, if, if the eye is dark, well, then the whole person's dark. Because there's only one way for the light to get in, it's through the eyes. And if your eyes don't work, no light gets in. And, and that's true spiritually. If your heart has been darkened, no light, no light of truth. The, the light of the beauty of God, the goodness and grace and power and glory of God, none of that light is making its way in. Why not? Well, because we rejected it. We rejected it. And there's no hope then, you see, not, not humanly speaking, because, because when, the, when, the, when the eye within you is, is darkness, well, you're completely stuck. When, when, when the heart, the, the part of you that makes you do what you do and think what you think and say what you say and feel what you feel, when that is darkness, well, you're stuck. I remember... On the farm, every once in a while, we would have a calf that would refuse to drink. And it was our, our job as kids to take the, take the milk in little buckets, and we'd take it out to the calves and make sure that they didn't tip it over, that they, they drank their milk. And every once in a while, there would be a calf that was sick and, and would not drink. And you could stick his head into the bucket. You could, you could drown his little nose in that milk. He would not drink. And the frustration of that, knowing that if he didn't drink the milk, he was going to die because he needed the nourishment. But no matter how hard we tried, they refused to drink, and they died. And that's the problem with humanity. We see, without the truth and light of God in our life, we will die. That is the definition of death, right? That's death in its seed form. To live apart from God is death. And we will die because, you see, we've rejected the truth of God, and our mind has become futile, and, and we loved the lie and chose the lie, and our heart has been darkened. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 that the wicked are perishing. Why? Because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. That is the, that's the disease. That's the disease. And the evidence of that fatal disease is written all over our life as we become foolish people. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. What a devastating indictment of humanity, and particularly of the day in which we live. What would you say is the most astonishing evidence of the folly of sinful men in our world today. I would suggest maybe uh, the in incredible folly of the transgender ideology. Has to be one of the most glaring examples in the history of mankind of people claiming to be wise and becoming absolute fools. The inability and stubborn unwillingness of otherwise intelligent people to be able to identify a woman as a woman and a man as a man, it's just mind-boggling. The rush to mutilate the bodies of confused young peoples by medical professionals in the name of this ideology, it's, it's stunning in its folly. It's heartbreaking. 
Another example in our day would be the refusal to acknowledge that a baby in the womb of a mother is a human life. What, other, what else could it possibly be? And as a human life deserves every possible protection. Intelligent people can look at a 3D ultrasound of this little baby, maybe 38 weeks along, and then casually decide to kill it for no reason whatsoever other than convenience. And think nothing of it or even boast about it. You see, the The darkness is descending, friends, in our society, and the abject diabolical folly of our society defies description. This is not normal. We should not let it become normal. There should be an an astonishment at the folly of of the world in which we live. And yet, all of those things pale in comparison to the folly that Paul mentions. The most wretched, incredible folly of all time is is the folly of exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images of bugs. That's what he's talking about. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie in verse 25 and, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And it is appalling. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. And God will talk about what Israel has done and the, the horror of it. Jeremiah chapter 2, I'll be beginning at verse 11. Verse 11, has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It is a stunning thing when people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of created things. You see, if you, if you want to look at the value or the, the wisdom of an exchange, you look at the comparative values that have been exchanged. If, if you're going to buy a house, um, well, you, you kind of evaluate that house, and is it worth this amount of money? Is it a wise exchange if, to, for me to give that money to, for this house? Is it a wise exchange? Well, here Paul holds up the, the glory of God, the most inestimable value of all the universe, God who is value itself. That's what the word glory means, see? The Hebrew word for glory means weight, significance, value. God is the the all-transcending, all-prevailing object of all value and worth. It's what Adam and Eve had in the garden, isn't it? They walked and talked with with God in His glory. They they knew God. They they tasted the the sweetness of his, of his goodness. They, they experienced the lavish riches of his love. They, they, they had life as God intended it because they were in communion with God, the God who made them, the God who loved them, the God who was refulgent in his beauty and his glory and his splendor. That's what they knew. And then they gave it away. 
Worse, they exchanged it for a lie, the lie of the devil. They exchanged everlasting light and glory and life for death. And their descendants have joined them, every single one. They, we, we have all exchanged the glory of God for worthless idols. We, we reject the Creator and worship the creation. And, and Paul says it's not just that. I mean, it, it'd be one thing to, you know, to, 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 to bow down and, and, and worship maybe the ocean or something like that. But, but they worship images, copies of created things. Uh, Men and birds and animals and creeping things. There's a, there's a descending order of folly here. The ancient world believed that there was a descending order of value in the created world. Man was at the top, being made like the gods, relating to the gods. Then the birds, because they're nearer to heaven. Then you have animals who roam the earth. And then you have creeping things, crawl around the dirt. And Paul says the incredible folly of, of sin is that we begin by rejecting the all-surpassing value and worth of the glory of God and end up worshiping images of dung beetles like they did in Egypt in Moses' day. Be appalled, oh heavens, be shocked. What in the world has gone wrong with us? Before we laugh at the foolishness of that, we just have to look in our own hearts and this is our fallen human nature. We've all made that exchange. Right? We've traded the eternal truth of God as the treasure of our life for the lies that the world is telling us. The lie of materialism. The lie of eroticism. These are lies that we have believed. We, we've, we've traded pursuing the God of all glory for the God of comfort. The God of, of personal security. And we do it over and over. Every time you give in to your pride, you're bowing down to a pathetic idol. Every time we give in to our lust, our greed, our anger, our lives are being then molded by these false gods. And, and it is, it's stunning, you see. We are, by nature, defined by this devastating exchange. And no transgender activist can surpass the folly of our own idolatry. His folly is just an acted-out portrayal of our own, of what we do in our heart. And which is why Paul ends the argument here in, in, in chapter 3 by saying all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one good, not even one. This is an indictment of the entire human race, of every single person, including you, including me. Are you beginning to see the problem? You see, the problem isn't just that we've done things we shouldn't do. We think that's the problem. That's just, that's just another evidence of the problem. The problem is that we have a spiritual disease which affects every part of us. We are born into the world with a futile mind and a darkened heart so that we choose lies over truth. And we exchange the glory of God for worthless, worthless things. And we do it willingly, you see, because sin has twisted our will and, and, and warped our affections. And in all of these things that we do, and in, uh, we, we've made ourselves, you see, in, that, in the, the cancer of our soul, we've made ourselves ripe for judgment. I mean, who could blame 
God the Creator for condemning people who do such things, people who are like this. What is left to do when the rot has gone all the way through? We're ripe for judgment. And if, and if you don't think so, you, you're, just, you're, just, you're not paying attention to the disease. Well, the, the, the question, of course, then is, is there any hope? Is there any cure? And that's the beauty of the gospel. You see, there was a man sent from God. His, his name was Jesus. And he came as a second Adam, a new beginning in a sense, where the first Adam failed and fall, fell into sin and, and died, and in, in him the whole human race died uh, because of disobedience and sin. Jesus, the second Adam, triumphed. Just think of the glory of Jesus. He never once failed to honor God as God. Never once. God, God the Father could never ever say to Jesus, listen, in that moment, you did not honor me as God. Never. He, he never failed to give thanks to God. Ever. Never once had a futile thought. Never was there a, the, the, the slightest shadow of darkness in his heart. Never dreamed of exchanging the glory of God for a worthless passing thing. His food was to do the will of him who sent him, even when that will meant going to a cross. Amen. That was his food. He was full of truth, full of grace, John says. In him was light. And that light was the light of men. In him was life. You see, the beauty of this man Jesus is not just that he was gloriously uh, absent of sin, but that he was gloriously rich and full of obedience and righteousness. And the beauty of Jesus is that he willingly offered up that perfectly obedient life as a sacrifice on a cross to atone for our sin. You see, the gospel speaks of another great exchange. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of creeping things. Jesus on the cross exchanged the glory of his righteous life for all of our putrid guilt and shame and sin. That's the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that as the nails went through the hands and the feet, and as the wrath of God was poured out, it was poured out upon Jesus bearing my sin, the sin of Dale Van Dyke. That's why he died. The Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, for me, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the exchange of the gospel. Can you imagine that? In response to the wicked exchange that we have made, God makes this unbelievable exchange at the cost of his own son. And God offers up his son, his son in all his perfect obedience and glory and goodness and truth in our place to bring us near to God. Peter says in, in chapter 3.18, Christ died for sin, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us near to God. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came. And as I said before, you'll never cherish the beauty of Jesus. You'll never take seriously the wonder of what he did unless you take seriously the truth of who you are. The truth of your need. 
Then Jesus becomes precious. Then Jesus becomes glorious in our mind. Jesus who came to redeem us. Jesus who came to atone for my sin. Jesus who gave me his perfect righteousness in exchange for all my guilt and filth and shame. Jesus is the only possible cure for the deadly disease of my soul and yours. And praise God, he's the only necessary one. And wonder of wonders, he's available to anyone who asks. See, that's, that's what Paul's getting to here. His, his whole argument is going to be, this is why salvation has to be by faith and faith alone. There's nothing in the rot of the human soul that you can build on, that you can begin with in order for a man to atone for his own life, to merit his own salvation. It's not possible. The cure that we need is a cure that can never be gained by our merit. It's a a cure that only is received as we reach out the hand of faith, confessing our sin and saying, Lord Jesus, save me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's how the gospel comes home. That's how the soul is cured. Everyone, the Bible says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friends, when that happens, your life will change. And, and as it continues to happen, your life will continue to change. You'll, you'll stop, you'll stop um, chasing after the false remedies of the world to, to, to cure your soul. You, when Randy was diagnosed with stage 4 gastric cancer, he stopped taking Prilosec. Wasn't going to do him any good. He needed a much more radical cure. Let me ask you, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you have in your life where, that you're trying to medicate your diseased soul instead of going to Jesus Christ. I would just encourage you to get before the Lord and, and, and ask that question. And, and I would encourage you to take what we've talked about today, maybe with your Bible open, and just accept the diagnosis of Scripture over your life and then accept, maybe with a joy you've never known before, the beautiful prescription of the gospel and receive it in all of its truth. This is why Jesus came. This is who he is for you. Believe it and live. Amen. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you so much, oh God, that you had mercy on us. You had compassion on us. And you did not leave us in our sin, but, oh God, I I thank you that you sent your Son to atone, to redeem us, to rescue us, to, to cure our sin disease with his own blood. And, Father, I, I just pray that these truths would press in upon our lives so that we, we stop medicating with worthless things and, and, Lord, instead receive Jesus Christ for all of our shame and guilt and fear. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would receive the glory of God again as the ultimate value of our life and worship Him, live in a glad obedience as you are enlivening our mind and bringing light into our heart. Oh, Father, continue that great work. And if, Lord, Lord there's someone here this morning who's, who's never come to understand these things, uh, Lord God, I pray that today by your Spirit they would, and they would confess their sin. And, uh, Lord, receive by grace and through faith what you give freely to those who ask. The cure of the gospel in Jesus Christ, that they might live forever. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.